0: Manfred Kohler, all the way from Foam Lake, Saskatchewan. Would you please make him welcome tonight? Thanks for showing up. (laughs) Well, I'm really glad you showed up today. Uh, you know, it is April Fool's Today. Thought maybe I'd be here all by myself tonight. But then I smelled the food and I knew it was gonna be real. We're all here for the food, right? My desire for you guys is to get some spiritual food right now, just by sharing my story. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And as much as we enjoy bread, physical bread, we need Jesus' bread way, way more. And... uh, Yeah, it's just a privilege to be here. My thought (laughs) to start with is that Jesus said, he promised, he came to give us abundant life. Not just life, not just millions and millions and millions and unending millions of years of existence, but abundant life, exciting life, overflowing life. Do we really believe that? The more we believe it, the more we want it, right? And part of my definition of abundant life is adventure. I just really think that the Lord would like us to have more adventure in our lives. Just yesterday I watched a, um, a, uh, a YouTube flick called uh, Norway, what was it called? when they do photos every 10 seconds or two minutes. Time lapse Norway Adventure. It's had over two million hits. If you want to see the glory of God's creation, please look that up. Time lapse Norway Adventure. Amazing video. You will just be like, try and watch it on a big TV. And when I saw that video, I was just like, now I want to go to Norway, Lord. That's on my bucket list. Now, if he doesn't allow it in this life, there is a whole millennium coming where I can check places like that out. I can't wait. I just had the privilege of going to Israel. Anybody had that privilege? Please raise your hand. Just, was it great? Would you do it again in a heartbeat? Yeah? Yeah. Wonderful. Are you afraid of how dangerous it is over there? Right on. Right on. Absolutely great time. And I wanted some adventure. For me, I have dodged bullets for Jesus down in Mexico as a missionary. Okay? I like adventure. I like a little bit of danger. The thought of going to Israel and being dangerous, that kind of was cool for me. Added pleasure. You know what the most dangerous thing I did while I was there? I saw a sign off in the distance on a barbed wire fence that said, danger, minefield. There's minefields in Israel that hadn't been cleared yet. And I wanted to take a picture of that sign. So I'm walking up there with my camera, that, uh, that one over there, getting real close. Take that picture. And as I turn around, I'm thinking, this, this field that I just crossed used to be a minefield as well. And I realized, wow, I hope they did a good job. (laughs) Amazing, amazing place. You want to see one of the most awesome pictures of a guy at the wailing wall. I had the privilege of praying at the wailing wall. But just before I prayed myself, I took one of the most amazing pictures of a guy just pouring his heart out on the wailing wall. You want to see that picture? Just take your phone, look at the page of my site under construction and you'll see that picture. ManfredKohler.com It's my construction page picture. Feel free to do that right now if you want. It's the most amazing picture of a guy looking for God in a wall that has seen more prayers than any other place on planet Earth. And a lot of those prayers, sad to say, haven't been based on the wonderful news of Jesus and his person and what he did. The cracks of the walls in that wall are filled with papers, little slips of paper where, where people have put their prayers, their fervent prayers, their desire for God to show up in their lives. Stuck in those walls. Any of you seen that picture yet? Yeah. Isn't that an amazing picture? Is it showing up on your. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I don't know that guy's soul, but my guess is that he is still wondering how do I really connect with God? And Jesus is the answer to that. Obviously, I hope we all really understand that at a deep level. As a kid, I grew up the son of German immigrants. They were Lutherans. They were church on, uh, church on Easter Sunday and Christmas Eve kind of Lutherans. It was just kind of dry religion for them. Go as few times as possible to keep those religious sentiments Alive, but we don't want any more than that. And then came the day when my mother's mother, my grandmother, passed away, leaving a huge hole in her life. She needed to find God. And guess who showed up on TV? She's here in Toronto. She discovered an old friend of hers, ended up falling in love with him, my dad. I showed up a year later. Here we are. Six years later, seven, seven years later after I was born. And uh, my mom is desperate to understand who God really is and fill this void in her life. And Billy Graham shows up on TV. Couple that with uh, a young pastor of about 35 years of age, knocking on doors, telling people about Jesus. Pastor Stu Sylvester knocks on my mom's door and shares the same message that she was hearing from this wonderful man called Billy Graham. Only now this Stu Sylvester's there, and he's able to answer her particular questions. She gets wonderfully saved and starts taking her little seven-year-old boy to church. Now, in the day and age that we live in, we are taught that little kids... Uh, are taught to sin. They aren't born sinful, they are born innocent. And society makes them sinful. You know what God's Word teaches? It teaches that sin is passed from man to man, starting with Adam, all through the human race. And that as soon as we are conceived, (laughs) we are born in sin. Right, Trent? We are conceived in sin. The sin nature is already part of us. Nobody has to teach us how to sin. And I have personal proof of that in my own life. I was six years old. I used to get 25 cents for uh, allowance. Anybody remember those days? 25 cents could get you some serious candy. But when you're seriously into candy, $0.25 doesn't last very long. All your candy's gone, and there's six days left in the week. So you know what I did one time? This is this innocent little kid, right? I took a five-year-old kid. I think I was six. I took a girl one year younger than me. Her name was Maureen, next-door neighbor, maybe two doors down. I says, Maureen, come on, we're going to the candy store. And my mind's machinating, you know, getting this plan together. It's like, I don't have any money, but I want some candy, and we're going to figure this out. We get to the store, and I says, Maureen, see the store owner there, over there? I probably didn't even use big words like that, but anyway. I says, go talk to him, and while you're talking to him, he won't be able to pay attention That's probably another big word I didn't use at six years of age, but he probably won't notice that I'm stealing some candy, so go talk to him. And that's what she did. Five-year-old Maureen, innocent little Maureen, she went and talked to that guy and distracted him while I stole a double bubble, one double bubble. Remember what a double bubble was? You know? So we left, we pulled it off, and I was a nice enough thief that I actually shared. <laughs> Maureen got her half, and that was my life of crime. <laughs> that's it, that's the whole story. We can go home now. <laughs> Seriously, as, as innocent, quote unquote, as that story seems, Just think about what kind of machinations, evil machinations a kid has to come up with to pull that kind of thing off at six years of age. That is pretty evil, really. And had God not arrested my evil growth, I could have gone down some very, very, very dark paths. But thankfully, at age seven, my mom gets saved and I start getting dragged to church. Okay, and they were amazing little church, 50 people when we were going there. Young pastor making it grow, and uh, God using him in amazing ways. Already seeing my mom come to know the Lord, and that church, by the time I graduated from high school, was 1,500 people. Just an amazing church to grow up in, very dynamic. And so while the parents, the grown-ups, were getting taught upstairs, they sent the little kids downstairs for what they call children's church. And uh, you know who taught it? A retired missionary lady named Mrs. Wood. She was old. That's all I knew. I was seven, and she was old. Like 137 or something like that. And so when she started talking about Jesus, I'm like all ears. Wow, she's old. And old ladies, they don't tell lies when you're seven years old. If you're that old, if you've survived that long, everything you say must be true. Because I'm only seven and you're 137. So I was just all ears. And when she started talking about Jesus dying on a cross, because if, if he hadn't, we'd all be going to a very real place called hell. I was like, all oh, eyes, all ears, I had to hear this. I knew it was true because she's 137 years old. I just believed it. There was nothing dramatic, no altar call, It was just, yes, this is true. I know it's true. The whole story, Jesus rising from the dead. Yes, he's he's alive. He's real. That seven-year-old kid understood that. It reminds me of that little verse, unless the children come unto me. That's how we have to approach him, right? As a child. When we come to him with all these adult Ideas of how to talk to, sorry brother, how to listen to God, how to talk to God, how to relate to God and get all theological about it. Guess what? All that complexity really mixes things up and kind of stops the flow of truth and reality and God's impartation of life into our lives. When we come to him as children, as we so desperately should, it just opens the floodgates. And that seven-year-old kid got it, by God's grace. And I'm so grateful, because my life of crime was very short. <clears throat> Spared me all kinds of pain. You know, my, my adventures in drugs and alcohol. No scars. Not that I've not made mistakes, blown it. That's obvious. We all have. But the relative level or, or amount of pain and regret is, is small enough to where I'm just very, very thankful that this is my story and that Jesus can save us before we get into all kinds of trouble. But he also can get us saved after, excuse me, I'll back off a little bit here. He can save us even after we've gotten into all kinds of trouble. And I want to share the story of a drug lord who came to know Jesus in Mexico. As a result of four missionary couples being there telling him about Jesus. But let me jump, get you from A to B with a few details. After I got saved, we continued going to church. You know, my dad never really wanted it. He'd come to church out of obligation to be a good dad. But it was only ever my mom that came to know the Lord. My brother and sister, mixed bag as well. My brother, he was all over it. He wanted Jesus so bad. My sister, to this day, she's in the States without a visa, With her eighth boyfriend, she reminds me of the woman at the well that Jesus talked to. That's my sister. My brother's been a missionary to Turkey. He started the second biggest Christian internet site before the 2000 dot bomb and totally survived the dot bomb. And uh, is a mild, mild, maybe bigger than mild success as a result of that. Amazing guy. I love my brother. Maybe tell a story there, too. He and I were on furlough as missionaries. And I'm talking about adventure, right? Because I really believe that our Christian lives are meant to be a huge adventure and that heaven is going to be an eternal adventure. Whenever we think of heaven, we have this tendency to think, oh, we're just going to be on clouds playing harps. How boring is that? That's kind of the image Satan has fed us of heaven. Who wants to go to heaven? I'm going to try and enjoy it right here and now because heaven is going to be boring. So untrue. So untrue. Heaven is going to be Norway uh, on steroids. All right? Heaven is going to be amazing. It's going to take all eternity and then some To explore all the wonders that Jesus has waiting for us. You know why God was skimpy on details when it comes to heaven? Because he wants us big on Jesus. Because when we get uh, to heaven, it's going to be all about Jesus. He's going to light the place up. There's no need for sun in heaven. Because the sun, S-O-N will be the light that we need. So if we get all crazy about Jesus, we will be experiencing heaven on earth, and heaven won't be so much of a surprise when we get there. It'll still be a big surprise. But that's why I think God was skimpy on details when it comes to heaven, because he doesn't want heaven to become a god in and of itself. It's Jesus that he wants us totally infatuated with. Okay? Now, quick story about me and my brother. We're on furlough. He's back in Canada and Turkey. Uh, for me, uh, furlough meant driving over the Rio Grande and getting into the States and having a bit of a vacation from being a missionary down there. And we decided to get together in Colorado. And uh, Mike and I decided we're going to go whitewater rafting. That sounds like an adventure. So I called the guys up. And I, I asked them after I got the price, fine, fine. Yeah, we want to do this, but one question do those rafts ever tip? And this guy goes into this long explanation about, yeah, every once in a while, but generally, no, don't worry, blah, blah, blah. And finally, I said, Sir, you don't understand. I want my raft to tip. I really do. So here we go, we're out there, Mike and I are in the front. We're the two big guys, we get the second and third best jobs. The guy at the back, of course, the guy, he has the best, best job. But anyway, he starts asking us, you want to bounce off that rock? Oh, yeah, let's bounce off that rock. And we bounced off one rock after another. And uh, he trained Mike and I how to do things so that, you know, we wouldn't flip. But one time I janked when we should have janked, and we flipped. We flipped. And I got to go through (laughs) those rapids, you know. I'm just like in a dream. This is exactly what I wanted. And God gave it to me, even though some of the things I did sort of manifested it. And my brother is just (laughs) doing this to me. And and the poor guy, he's all embarrassed, you know. it's one of the last runs of the year, late in August. And he says, man, I am tipped all year. I'm just saying, yes, Lord, (laughs) yes. Anyway, that's the kind of adventure I'm talking about. That's just the smidgen of what heaven is going to be like, honestly. Anyway, so um, we're trying to jump from seven-year-old to uh, mission field, right? Went to a little Bible school in New Brunswick. Absolutely amazing three years of my life. Graduated with 50 kids, uh, still got friends, lots of them from that group of 50. We still stay in touch. My thought for you guys who are younger, who are still trying to figure out what you're going to be when you grow up, that's me at 53, so don't feel bad. Um, If you don't know for sure, you know, if there's no clear guidance, if God's voice is still a little bit confusing, just It's absolutely worth the time. You cannot go wrong. Go find a few friends in Bible school. They'll be your friends for life. And while you're there, just keep saying, Lord, what do you really want me to do? And don't forget, you can change course. I was talking with Logan here tonight. I have reinvented myself six times (laughs) in my short life. Missionary, electrician, pastor, uh, right now, speaker, whatever that is. I'm, I want to get into videography, do videos for camps, speak at camps, and be their video guy at the same time. That's my, my latest burden. I'd like to build a website that helps young people uh, escape the trap of, of computer game addiction. That's one of my visions, because if I did have a, an addiction, it wasn't drugs, wasn't alcohol, you guessed it. I'm the original gamer. <laughs> I was the first one. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe, but we had Nintendo while we were. Inventing the wheel. (laughs) Anyway. It's okay to reinvent your life. God has a lot of things he can do and wants to do in us. Variety is the spice. You can do a lot of things. Just do it all wholeheartedly for Jesus. Go big. Go big. That's my message. That I preach to myself all the time. Or maybe it's he. That is preaching it to me. Okay, we're on the mission field. I really did dodge bullets for Jesus, guys. It really did happen. One time uh, there were guys. We're living in a valley. 1,200 people. Same size of town as the town I live in now. Foam Lake. I love small towns. So much juicy gossip. But anyway. <laughs> here we are in small town, Mexico. Mountain town, small town. And... Uh, These guys are mad at this rooster because it's crowing too early in the morning, and they can't sleep. And they're Mexicans, right? It's just like real. Roosters crow all the time in Mexico, not just in the morning. And you were born here. Why are you so upset? You know how upset they were? They started taking pot shots with a 45 at that stupid rooster. (laughs) And I'm sitting. In my window, adobe house, window's like uh, five foot by three. And there's uh, mosquito screening and a sheet of plastic. And the house is in that direction. And I can hear whizzing bullets going on either side of my house. So I'm, I'm worked up, right? I'm not practicing the presence of Jesus right now. I go up to my partner who lived right beside these Wahoos, and he's upset too because his kids were nearby when the rooster was crowing. But he's a little more pacific, that's not the word I'm looking for, that's Spanish, pacifico, calm, or no, that's not the word, passive, there it is. He's a little more pacifico than I am. I'm the, well, you can tell, right? I'm the guy who's going to go after this. So I go up there and Steve says, I'll be praying for you. (laughs) And I try and put the best smile I can on and calm down. But I says, guys, you guys are shooting bullets and they're going whizzing by my house and they're scaring the kids of my friend. What's going on here? And they're all, there's nine, no, ten brothers in this family. They're drug growers. They're violent. And it's just me and Jesus, though. And Jesus. Can't forget that. It's just like me plus Jesus. Bring them on. Anyway, Lord's trying to calm me down. He's trying to calm them down. It's not working too good. And finally, I said this in Spanish. I got the words, two words mixed up. Ojos and oídos. That's two words, parts of your face. Okay? Ojos is ears. No, oídos is ears. Ojos is eyes. Okay? And you know what I said? I'll translate it in English. I heard those bullets with my own eyes. (laughs) And then I'm like, I said that wrong, didn't I? And we all bust up laughing. It was just one of those stupid moments that God divinely orchestrated because he really needed to calm things down. And we were all able to laugh about it. They gave me, you know, a, a joking apology. Won't happen again, blah, blah. And it never really, it, well, yeah. That kind of thing didn't happen again, you know. The roosters in that area were safe. I used to think, man, that family... They are evading the consequences of sin. There were ten brothers of father. They were living the drug life very violent down there. And they were all still alive after years of doing this. I'm like, how are these guys doing this? They're shooting at each other. They're hated. They get shot at. They're all still alive. Guess what? Three of them are still alive today. It just took a little longer than normal to catch up with them. Now, let me tell you the story of a guy named Beto Acuna, my next-door neighbor. We were there to reach the Pima Indians. It meant learning Spanish first took me nine months to get to where I could do what I'm doing now in Spanish. So much fun. Spanish is the language we're going to talk in heaven. I know it. Such a special language. Anyway, special, special, amazing. Ah, I can't think of the word. (laughs) Simpático, that's the word. It's a very, very beautiful language. Anyway, so I'm preaching away in Spanish, but now I have to learn Pima because we, with New Tribes Mission, we're trying to reach the last people group. Language groups that have never heard the word of God in their tongue. And Pima was one of those languages. Hadn't even been written by the time Beth and I got there. We were... We were tasked with the job of making an alphabet so the word of God could be translated into Pima. So while we're learning Pima, we're designing the alphabet. Have you ever met somebody who has designed an alphabet before? That you—you got it. You said it. She says now I have. You—you met someone else. It's quite a privilege. To actually be coming up with the tools that will be used to translate God's wonderful word into another language. Beth and I had that job. But we also had to learn it at the same time. To get to where I could preach like I was preaching in Spanish in nine months. To get to that same place in Pima, two years, nine months. Part of the difference being Pima is totally unrelated to English or Spanish. Spanish and English are European languages. They have Latin roots. A lot of words are similar. Any ION word in English has a Spanish equivalent. Transportacion. What do you think that means? Acción. What's that mean? Tuición. What's that mean? Tuition. Okay. Action. Transportation. So you get a lot of words automatically just by learning that one rule, okay? No such rules in learning Pima because it's, it's as different from English as Cherokee, okay, which used to be one of the, the uh, code languages of World War II. Cherokee, it's so complicated, they never broke the code. And Pima would have been a good code language too. Very amazing language. Sound-wise, it wasn't too hard to reproduce. Most of the sounds we have in English. But the grammar. Oh, two years, nine months before I could start stumblingly but confidently, in God's grace, share the wonderful words of life in Pima. And so we had been there seven years. And our blinders were on. We're here to reach the Pima. Pima. Too bad for these non-Pima-speaking Spanish Mexicans around us because we're here to reach the Pima. And so one day, my next-door neighbor, who's a drug lord, the number one drug lord in our town, and the pharisaical heart that I had at the time had him completely written off. You know, God doesn't save drug lords. Didn't actually come out in that way, but the attitude was hiding somewhere. It was there. And he comes over to my house, and he's got this big eight-penny nail, and he says, I've got this old-fashioned door, and I need to bang this nail into a key so I can get it back into my house. I'm like, this is nuts. But I had an anvil, and I had all the tools. So into my tool shop we go, and we bang out an old-fashioned key for this guy. And sure enough, we get it to work, and he's able to get into his house. And the whole time, I am just chafing. Oh, this is such a waste of time. I should be studying Pima, making lessons, and I'm wasting time on this drug lord. (laughs) That's where I was at in my heart, if I was honest. But I wasn't honest. I was, sure, I'll help you. Yeah, right. Anyway. Anyway. Did my best. Couldn't hardly do it for Jesus. I don't know what motives were there. I just got it over with. Then comes the day that Beto starts getting shot at. And it happened at a very specific time because we were in my missionary partner's house, which was closer to Beto's house even than mine, even though we were both neighbors of his. We're talking about a little bit more space there than... And here in Yorkton, when it comes to neighbors, maybe 80 yards between houses. No, 80 feet. Yards is too much. Because when they had parties at night, they would use machine guns at about 4 in the morning just to make some noise. So it wasn't 80 yards. I know it. Anyway, we're praying. And all of a sudden, blam, blam, blam. You could tell. 45 pistol. I don't know much about guns, but I do know the sound of a 45 pistol. And, uh, and we could tell from the direction where it was coming from. And sure enough, it was Beto Acuna and his family getting threatened by some other drug guy. Beto Acuna was numero uno. He was the big dog in town, but he still had threats. So we start praying, pouring on the prayer for Beto and his family. We go over to him the next day. He says, Beto, we want you to know we were praying for you. You okay? Are you in any big trouble? How can we help? No, 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 I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for praying, but I'm good. Of course, he has a religious background, right? He knows about Jesus in a form. But it's just religion to him. That wasn't changing his heart. You couldn't see it. Obviously. So he just shoved us off, brushed us off. Next time I see him, I am at a Pima ranch. We had led this one ranch, a lot of the people in this ranch, about three different households. They were some of the first of the Pima to come to know him. So we're having discipleship classes in Pima, their language, on a Sunday. Okay, and we're just getting ready to start. I was appointed to teach that day. And in comes Beto and his wife. And they're there to buy corn. It was seasoned. They wanted it right, off the, right on the cob and they wanted to buy it from this ranch. And again, my attitude. Same stinking rotten attitude I had back in the tool shed. You're interrupting us, guy. I want to preach God's word in Pima. You don't even understand it and you're a drug lord. Why are you here? That was screaming in my heart. Of course, on my face, I'm trying to smile and hurry up, get this guy his corn, get him out of here. And the Lord divinely, divinely interrupts. Sometimes we can hear even when we don't want to because he has a way of knocking the door down. He's a gentleman, but he can kick that door down. And he says, Manfred, I want you to invite him to the message today. I'm like, Are you kidding? He's a drug lord. Manfred, do it. You kidding? I'm prepared to do it in Pima. Manfred, do it. I don't have anything prepared. Trust me. So I finally gave in, walked up the Be- bit. Hey, Beto, we're about to have a Bible study here. Would you like to join us? And to my surprise, he says yes. How are we doing? He says yes. We start a year-long Bible study with him. We start in Genesis 1.1. We don't talk about the Son of God until we talk about Creator God. We don't talk about the Son of God until we talk about the Ten Commandments which show us how desperately we need the Son of God. The Ten Commandments were meant to slay us and show us how sinful we are. That saying one little lie is as bad as being a murderer. And once it slays us, it brings us, the Galatians says, like a schoolmaster to the feet of Jesus. Then we're ready for Jesus. You can't understand the good news of Jesus until you get the bad news. And so we started way back there. It took us a whole year to get to the, or nine months to get to the life of Christ. Then another three months to get him, them through the wonderful life of Christ before we ever talked about his death and his resurrection. And when it's all said and done, we still weren't sure what we had. Because in Mexico, when you're a foreigner, there's this aura about you, this mystique. And if you were to do something like invite them to come to the front after a gospel presentation, you'd have everybody coming. Didn't matter if they understood what they were up front for, it's just the gringo, they asked us to come here, so we're coming. So we had to very, very carefully present the gospel and leave the results in God's hand. We didn't do anything overtly public to invite people to Jesus. We just preached the truth. And when we got to the end of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus after a year, we didn't know what we had. We knew we had an attentive audience. Beto's living room, which wasn't that big, maybe about this big, would be completely full because he was a complete people magnet. For the kids to be able to hear the stories we shared, they had to sit on their bellies in between the legs of their parents under the chairs because that's the only space there was. It was an amazing time. Finally, Beto comes to me one day and tells me this story. And I'm going to ask you a quick question. Do you think it's possible to be a Christian and a drug lord at the same time? This is a deep theological question here. Let me, let me put this in perspective with another question. Is it possible to be a Christian and a grump at the same time? Have you ever been that Christian? Now, who are we to say that that grumpy Christian deserves heaven any more than that drug lord Christian? You see what I'm saying? It's not what we do that saves us or stop doing that saves us. It's what we believe in Jesus. It's him that saves us. And that has to be absolutely clear because when we start talking about who's in and who's out, Based on anything other than Jesus, we are on very thin ice in April. You hear what I'm saying? And I'm here to tell you that I saw it with my own eyes. A Christian drug lord. Why? Because drug lord wasn't the first thing on God's list for this guy once he came to know Jesus. Let me tell you the story and I'm done. He comes to me, his sweet wife, Evelia, we sit down at our kitchen table, and he says, we don't know what's going on inside of us. There is something weird. We were at a restaurant in the town next over, and we had this big, wonderful meal, and we were finished. We asked the waitress for how much. I gave her a 500 peso bill. Of course, he's a drug lord, right? He's got lots of those. She comes back, gives me some change. I grab the change. I don't even count it. I walk out the door. you got to know he's wearing um, ostrich skin cowboy boots. Number one sign of drug lord in Mexico. You see ostrich skin? Won't be on no missionary's feet. (laughs) So he walks out. Starts counting his change. It's more than 500 pesos in his hand. Okay? And he's like, he looks at his wife, 500, she gave me too much change. I've got more in my hand now than what I gave her. He goes back into that restaurant. Honey, I've got to get this right. He calls the waitress out and says, hey, something went wrong with the change. Of course, she gets all defensive. Because she gets this all the time. You gave me too little change, right? I mean, that just happens all the time with her. He's like, no, no, ma'am. You got me wrong. I'm here to give you change back. Her mouth just falls to the ground. You don't do that in Mexico. I mean, God is part of your life in Mexico. And if you get too much change, you know why? It's because God gave it to you. That's the mentality. You say, gracias a Dios, and you walk away with the extra change. Because God provided today. And here he was doing what Jesus really would do. And the waitress couldn't believe it. He insists, gets it right, leaves her some more tip, walks out. He walks up to his wife. She's all beaming. Like she is so happy to see this in her husband. She doesn't even know how to respond. And he looks at her and he says, honey, what happened there? I don't understand what went on there just now. Why did I do that? Three days later, they're at my kitchen table telling me the same story, asking me, what is going on? And we had been praying, Lord, we don't know if we have new believers here or not. We know we had very sensitive listeners, hungry listeners, but we don't know if we're dealing with new Christians in Jesus or just people who are still being religious only maybe a little more fine-tuned now. Help us to know. And it was that night. I took them to uh, Romans 8.16. 8, Those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And I was seeing evidence of the Spirit of God moving, leading in their life. And that told me, Beto, you are my brother in Jesus. I welcome you into the family. Now I know what to teach you. Let's keep moving forward. So, what did we have? We had an honest Christian drug lord. <laughs> the next thing was he told his wife, I'm, you're not the problem. Up until now, you always have been the problem in our marriage. Guess what? I know who the real problem is. And his change was so dramatic, his mother-in-law came to Jesus. She said, if Jesus can do what he has done in my nasty son-in-law's life, I'm going to follow him too. And so now what do we got? We have an honest, loving, husband, Christian drug lord. (laughs) It wasn't until two years later that God touched that part of his life. And that is the story of another day. My invitation to you, if you want to hear more stories that have passed and will happen in the future, is to get my blog. And that's that purple piece of paper there in front of you. Please sign up. Anybody who signs up, I'll plug you in. We'll send you stuff. The next project I am working on, is called rough title um, in uh, pray without ceasing, enjoying Jesus all day long. That's the next book I want to write, and I would love to share that journey with you. So please, that is my invitation to you. Hopefully, it'll result in years of ministry from me to you in your life, encourage you in your bigger journey. We're all in an adventurous journey here. Let's go take Norway for Jesus. God bless you all.